Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to There Will Be Bugs, an insect podcast created to enlighten viewers about the surprising world of entomology. I am one of your hosts, Ben, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Heather. I do work in with integrated pest management and been doing that for two years along with um, agriculture and horticulture. So I'm really excited to chat today about all those types of things. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, Heather? Where are you from? Uh, where did you go to undergrad? And uh, where are you currently in your schooling? Because I believe you're in grad school at this point, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I laugh because I was going to say unfortunately, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get there. But again, I'm Heather. I'm from Rochester, New York, and I went to undergrad at SUNY ESF, which I think you went to SUNY ESF too, right? I did. Go Stumpies. Yeah, Stumpy Pride. I love that. So I was at ESF after I went to community college for two years and I graduated in 2017. And I always tell people I would never trade going to ESF for anything. Like if I had to redo it, I would go again. I absolutely loved it. And a lot of my best friends have come from there. So and now I live uh, currently live in New Paltz. I'm in the Hudson Valley. There's a lot of Stumpies on 87, which is great. So a lot of my friends are really close by. And I'm just finishing kind of my master's in plant health management at The Ohio State University. And I always have, you have to say the, I guess it's like trademarked. I've had, I've been scolded by strangers because I usually just say Ohio State. But so I'm finishing my master's at The Ohio State University again in master plant health management, which it's online. I actually defend, officially defend my capstone on when this upcoming Wednesday, November 15th, I think. So then that'll be done. And then I just have some classes to finish up and then I'm done with that. But I also work full time. That's why I said, unfortunately, because it is quite a lot of things to do. You know, we're out here doing bug stuff. So that's like the best part about it. Are you, uh, are you nervous to defend your capstone? Yeah, I did an open seminar on Monday, this past Monday. Is that the sixth? I don't even know where I am in time. But I did an open seminar and I was really I was really nervous because you can invite anyone. So I invited my parents and like some of my friends and stuff. So I think I was more nervous about them seeing it because they, you know, some of them are like my boyfriend was uh, like he was at home here, but was zooming in and like all my really close friends are super aware of what I'm doing. But a lot of them went to ESF. Some of them didn't. So some of them don't really know what I'm doing. And as many of us are, we have like imposter syndrome. So I kind of went into it like, oh, my God, they're going to think it's so lame. Like I spent all this time on this thing. But it is actually really cool. And they were really proud of me. The closed one I'm a little bit more nervous about. It's like two hours and they'll look at my project and like interrupt with questions. So I have to brush up on like the textbook integrated pest management terms and things like that and you know why I'm doing what I'm doing etc and then I had to take a written exam where my advisor gave me a problem which the problem was rice root aphids which for IPM is kind of complicated because there's not a lot of research for rice root aphids in cannabis which is the issue and so I had to write answers and then they can go over that too so I'm a little nervous but I'm also like this is this is the end. It's a little, it's a lot of different feelings, I think. Uh, where do you uh, work? So I work at a company called BioBusa. USA. It's in the same vein of like Coper or Beneficial Insectary or BioWorks. 
etc. So we produce beneficial insects, mites, and nematodes. And then, you know, I'll meet with growers of a lot of different crops. I cover the Northeast. That's where I live. So I cover Virginia to, or Maine to Virginia, which is a lot. <laughs> and Yeah, that is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's nice because some of the smallest states in the U.S. are in this area. So it's not like I'm driving through California, but to get down to Virginia can be hard sometimes because it's like, do you fly? Do you drive? It's it's not uh, sustainable either way. So what we do is we have the the solutions, those solutions, and I'll meet with growers, cannabis or ornamentals. I work with some botanical gardens, um, which I love. Uh, they usually let me walk around after a visit, which I absolutely love to do. Uh, tomatoes, etc. So, you know, they tell us their pest problems and we try to set up an IPM program for them that incorporates some of these natural enemies. And we look at, you know, if they do spray chemicals and if they're allowed to, uh, it's a little bit more tricky with cannabis. But then we look at that and look at the compatibility between the insects and those sprays and try to time everything out for everyone. And then I'll come and look at bugs and stuff and I'll check in and make sure everyone is, you know, on the same page. If they need education, I do that. That's what we do in a nutshell. And again, we're kind of new. So usually if if you're doing schooling or educational seminars about IPM or horticulture, BioBee's name might not be in there yet, but we're kind of we're still kind of new. I think we're making our way for sure. What scale are the growers at that you're um, working with? And are you working are you working with like startup growers or growers that have been established for a while? And like how big are their operations that you you consult for? That's a good question. It kind of depends because I think I have a little bit of all of that. This is kind of complicated because it it sounds like I I don't want to work with, you know, the, when I say this, I don't want to work with small growers. And I do, but the only thing that makes me hesitant is some of our products, especially, for example, like beneficial mites, they'll come in quantities of like 25,000 or 50,000, <laughs> 250,000. And that's just so much for them that, you know, it's, I don't, there's a balance between solving the issue and making sure you're within budget. Really small operations, I'll I'll be really straight up with them and say, you know, this might be more than you need, but maybe we can try to change how often you put stuff out. And sometimes with small grows too, for example, like again, cannabis is probably the most tricky crop to work with because of like you have to have a license and etc things like that sometimes it shows we'll get like home growers and that's perfectly fine but you know if they don't have a, a cultivation license and they're again just growing at home I'll offer advice but we can't sell to people that don't have a license with ornamental crops and you know greenhouse tomatoes and stuff like that those tend to be larger and then again I keep mentioning cannabis it's like the most fickle and kind of tricky it varies so much depending on even the state or like even the town within a state it 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 could be a huge operation like an MSO or it could be really it could be smaller but if we can help we try cuz i've grown can i've worked at growing cannabis like with IPM and also i did apple orcharding and like i worked at Wegmans organic farm for a bit and it's just so hard when you have like so many pest issues you have like so many other things to do and you're just like oh these bugs like it's like the one thing and I remember, I remember like growing cannabis, being an IMPM person in cannabis and just having nightmares about like pest outbreaks. And like, I don't want people to deal with that. It's so stressful. Like you, you go to sleep at night 
and you dream about work having pest issues and you wake up and you go to work and then the pest issues are there so we try to like break that cycle so try to work with as many sizes and crops as possible but some we just can't I don't know if it's like legally work with but I'll still offer advice if people send me an email I'll, I'll, I won't say no you know I want to help it, everybody if I could so to kind of take a step back uh because I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with this term IPM and it's been a lot it's been around longer than I even knew when I started doing some research about IPM what is IPM and I know that can be a difficult question to answer so in kind of layman's terms how would you yeah. describe IPM I, that's a good question and I was wondering too if we should go over that and I think it's good even for myself to take a step back and be like what is the goal you know what is IPM for this crop or this place so integrated pest management is exactly kind of what it sounds like like integrating pest management into the grand scheme of things and that can look like a lot of different variables. You know, we're looking at biological control, which can be natural enemies, which are, I like to always say, you know, good bugs going after bad bugs. And it's pretty general, but people understand what that is. You usually think of ladybugs, like that's like the go-to thing. It's like that, except it, it is that and more. <clears throat> we also look at chemicals as as well. Under the, bio con- uh, under the biological control, I said there's biopesticides which are using like funguses as an active ingredient or something like that so there's almost kind of like a venn diagram of biological biological control and like using chemical control so there's biopesticides in there and those are really helpful my favorite word relating to that is entomopathogenic fungi so it's a <laughs> fungus that kills insects and we use those a lot um and they're super cool and i you know, if you ever have to play Scrabble, that's a great word if you can fit it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I never had the chance. It never, I don't know if it fits on the board. So we have biological control again, which is like the good bugs going after bad bugs. And we have biopesticides. We have chemical control as well, which aren't biopesticides. Some of the ingredients are, they're probably manufactured and, and they're used a lot, um, especially to, you know, companies like mine, and including mine, we don't really do a whole lot for fungi and bacterial pathogens. So those need to be considered another way. So chemical control. We also look at cultural practices as well, which can look like a lot of different things like physical removal. Like if you have a plant or a cultivar or a species or a land race, et cetera, that's giving you trouble, maybe try to figure out a way to take it out of the equation. There's also cultural practices like cleanliness like it's it, it, you can really start anywhere to contribute to you know having less issues like cleaning your pruners with isopropyl alcohol like 70 percent iso or you know washing your hands or you know wearing scrubs and that's kind of what you're seeing to start you're starting to see a lot of that stuff come up in big operations and that is super super helpful so it's like looking at all these different variables together and how to incorporate that again into like your plant production schedule because sometimes what happens is people think that integrated pest management is different from crop production and our goal is to try not to other integrated pest management because it should be a part of it because that's how you get it to work because then you're not you're not going to be spraying as much you're not going to be you know there's not as many curative issues um, and when I say curative, it's usually or like reactive where you have an issue and then you try to fix it instead of mm. starting before the issue arises. All of those things kind of contribute to integrated pest management. And 
you know, integrated pest management will mean more, maybe even five years from now. And biological control or natural enemies have even come super far. You know, there's still some places that don't really want to use natural enemies. You know, um, working on an apple orchard, it's very spray heavy. And I understand maybe why that could be. A lot of these places are generational and there's such big acreage and natural enemies are kind of a new thing in the U.S. We've made a huge, we've made huge progress and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Just trying to integrate everything into your crop production. What do you think is the biggest benefit of using IPM? And what are what are some, if you can talk on like some negatives of using IPM, when you hear IPM, what comes to mind of like, oh, this is like <clears throat> the highlight of IPM, the beauty of it? That's a great question because I think uh, the beauty I see in it as like a tech, I, I'm a technical sales representative. So the beauty I see in it might be the negative that like a grower sees in it. And that is, it's super challenging and you have to have a lot of different solutions and be really good at problem solving. And again, in the field, you don't want to be doing that because you have so many other things to do. And some people actually really do like it to do that. They like the challenge of like people are growing for years. They have like the same schedule beside, you know, other factors that contribute to plant growth that can't control like the climate change and, you know, really wet seasons, et cetera. But so I really like IPM because there's so many ways to do the same thing, the accomplish the same goal. And I think that makes it, it is, and it should be, and it is ubiquitous because of that. We might have say the same pest problem in this place that grows poinsettias and this place that grows poinsettias, but we're trying to reduce the pest issue in different ways because they have different crop production settings. You know, they have a different amount of staff, they have different, et cetera. So I think that's really exciting. I really like that. I, it, it just, it can fit everywhere. And I also love about IPM when it works, people love it because they love to see these natural enemies in the greenhouses. You know, we don't remove Uh, pesticide applications from the equation because it's integrated pest management again and that is a tool but it might reduce the number that you have to do per year and people like that too because spraying if you've ever sprayed or you know anyone that's ever sprayed you have to gear up suit up you have to record everything you know appropriately and uh, mix the tanks make sure you're putting all the chemicals in the right order and keep it agitated blah 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 etc and it takes all day long so the less times you have to do that the better but the accessibility, I think, too, is important. You know, we can try to make it work for anyone, you know, we'll, and we'll try really hard to do that because it'll just save a lot of time. And it's, I think, too, it's becoming a benefit as well as that it's becoming known by the public more. So growers are more excited to be doing it because, you know, it's really interesting to them. It's an ecosystem. They can see it. And then the the people who buy their plants are like, this is so cool. And I think we have a way to go with that. But and the negative side is it takes a bit to work and it's not, and like I said, it's a challenge. It's a lot of problem solving skills and sometimes it doesn't work the first time. The first solution isn't right. And you're just like, oh my God, you're like, no, we, you know, we planned it. We sat down, we planned all the square footage out. We planned what, how many, you know, one time a week you're going to release this and then you're going to, I would recommend spraying this. And then sometimes it doesn't work. And it can feel frustrating to the grower and I completely understand because sometimes they come to us and they're like at wit's end. So then to come to you, this person at wit's end and be like, I need your help. And then it doesn't work and people can get discouraged. And I, and 
I get it because you're like, I don't know what to do. You're like, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. So I understand that. But for me, I'm not a grower anymore. So I like the challenge and I like to try to try as many things as possible to help people. But I know that like time is of the essence, especially given the crop, the margins can be really slim. You know, point growing poinsettias is kind of expensive. So they're like, we need to do this, but with this budget and like it has to work. And you know, they're putting all their eggs in that basket. So the cons of it could be pros, but it just has to click right. Some And it, it's the way that they were taught. And it's hard to kind of you people don't want to get out of their comfort zone. And I completely understand. So for example, people put out their products and they're like, I don't understand why they're working. You know, I just sprayed them in a cloprid and you're like, ah, oh, that kills <laughs> that kills everything. So, you know, trying to help people be comfortable and be like, you just got to trust the literally trust the process. And I promise you, and if it doesn't work, you know, we'll try something else. And, you know, and just being really honest and it, it makes people uncomfortable. And that's their money that's their livelihood and i understand i think maybe down the road again ipm's coming a long way i think maybe that won't be a, a con but it definitely is and i see people's frustration and i'm like i know it works i promise i think you hit on a good misnomer about ipm and you know i work in cornell's ipm department and something that people don't realize you know, IPM kind of sounds like this hip new term and it sound and a lot of people get the impression that uh, IPM is like a- anti-pesticide where uh, like that's not what IPM's about. Like uh, IPM is about using all these tools in the toolbox to and using them, but using them correctly. And that and sometimes that means using pesticides. We're not mm-hmm. anti-pesticide. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. we're about, we're pro using the best method. And sometimes pesticides aren't the best method. Right. Yeah. And it can be kind of challenging sometimes. Again, I keep cannabis is very special in that it's just it has a lot of different rules. And I usually see if people don't spray pesticides at all, it's in cannabis. And there's a lot of feeling around that. And I understand. But sometimes I'm like, there's a lot of chemicals or insecticides that are a lot oil based, like clove oil, rosemary oil, etc. like that. And I even recommend, I'm like, you maybe just have that. And it's FIFRA 25B. And just to reiterate, FIFRA 25B is is approved. You know, you can use it without a pesticide license. And they're deemed safe for applicators or people and the environment. So they're FIFRA 25B. It's like citric acid and things like that. You know, citric acid is found in orange juice and a lot of other things. And they're like, no, we don't, you know, we don't want to spray at all. And I get that. But it also puts you kind of in a corner. Because then if the insects, you know, we use, they use natural enemies. And then usually if people are having an issue, I'm like, okay, we either start by increasing the volume in which you're applying or the frequency. And then when we kind of max out on that, it's like, usually I'd recommend a knockdown spray, but you're not spraying. So I don't really know what the next move is. And that is a, that is then they're like, well, it doesn't work. And that becomes a con, you know? So it's, I encourage people if they have stuff, you know, let me know what it is and I can tell them if it will wipe everything out or not. But like, you don't have to throw everything away. You know, (laughs) I would keep it on hand in case something happens, you know, because something is always going to happen eventually. So, yeah, it makes me always a little worried when they're like, we don't really want to spray these spray at all. And I'm like, I I hear you. It's going to be really hard, though. It's going to be very challenging. So when you're doing visits to growers and farms, 
what are some of the major pests you're seeing? Obviously, it might depend case by case if they're a greenhouse grower or if they're a field grower and like what kind of crops they're growing. But what are some of the like, you know, when you think of pests that you see, usually what are what are some of the big ones out there? <laughs> did I make a face? I was thinking about you did make that. you did make a face. <laughs> I was thinking about thrips because everybody has thrips. I imagine if you're working in Cornell IPM, you you probably do IPM across a lot of different crops. I'm sure you've run into a lot of thrips in the in your days there. Thrips are just everywhere. It it can be kind of tricky. There's so many different species, and it de- really depends on the species. Like I think onion thrip has a little bit of a different IPM strategy than you know chili thrip or et cetera. So thrips thrips are found everywhere, and they're doing da- damage. Or it is either the plant is dying or it reduces the quality. And some people kind of, people can put in their IPM programs things for thrips and some people don't really care. And that, you know, I kind of want to make sure that we deal with the issue because thrips especially can vector viruses and viroids and that's what makes me nervous about them. And in cannabis, we haven't, it is possible that they can vector viruses and viroids in cannabis, but you know, I wouldn't, I would have to read more about that, but just the potential of it happening makes me nervous. And also just with on cannabis plants, I know the quality is very important and it has all those like physical markings and frass and all that kind of stuff. But in on any crop thrips, white flies, a big one, um, poinsettias and tomatoes is a big issue and they're very annoying. <laughs> and <laughs> aphids, Aphids is a big issue, especially rice root aphid, like I mentioned earlier, is, is coming up more again in cannabis. Cannabis is the the child that is we're trying to figure out the things that we can do for it within our means. And especially with rice root aphid, the primary and secondary hosts are obviously like wheat plants and rice and things. So that's where all the papers are geared towards. So there's a lot of things still being published and looked at for rice root aphid, but there's really no good answers. And that's really frustrating. And that's a con. And then sometimes there's no good answer. Two spot spider mite. Yeah. Uh, again, mites. a lot of tomatoes or cannabis. And they any sort of mite pest just blows up. Um, if it <laughs> if you this that's why the scouting is so important. I'm like at least once a week because if you have one of the or if you have or have historical record of either of those or any pest mite, it can blow up. And broad mite was the first pest I ever dealt with, and it was just such a nightmare. That was the one I was having nightmares about, actually. It just you think you have it and then, you know, maybe you miss a day of scouting and all of a sudden there's a problem and it can get out of hand really fast. But, yeah, I'm usually building programs a lot for thrips, aphids, sometimes not as much two spot spider mite, but it is popular. And then white flies is really particular to poinsettias right now. You know, they're kind of at the end of their cycle, though, poinsettias and then to greenhouse tomatoes if they're running like a, a one or two crop system they probably are putting stuff out all year round um so yeah i'd say thrips is probably the number one fungus gnats also uh very common in uh, cannabis that's usually where they're putting a lot of effort into fixing it so it's interesting you mentioned thrips i i i have a background in uh, in the tree industry and and mm-hmm. there's a lot of trees that get uh, thrift damage but it's something that oh. uh it's more like a foliar damage not but it's never to the extreme and what makes what makes thrips really important on like a crop plant because it, thrips are something i would never consider treating on a on on a tree in the landscape what makes thrips important in more of a a crop or a horticultural setting 
I think that's a good question because I think it depends. As we know, as some crops, especially, you know, some food crops, it can vector viruses and viroids, which can stunt growth and, you know, give less than ideal quality yield. And especially if you have food crops, there's really specific standards at which they need to be at to sell. So that could be an issue. Mums, for example, or chrysanthemums have thrip issues and it damages the look, the quality of the plant. And sometimes for growers who are growing for wholesale, like they're selling to Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, they have to look a certain way or like the batch gets rejected and people will complain. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I think it's people when they buy the plants and they see the insects, it could be a thrips or it could be literally anything else. People will call and complain or they will try to get the people at Lowe's and say, you know, there's an issue and to which that goes back to the grower. So with that, there's that issue. And with cannabis, a lot of cannabis, and again, I'm speaking about it too, because I've done IPM in cannabis. I've grown, been in cannabis production is their thresholds are really low. So threshold is, you know, how many is too many is like the layman's term I like to describe it in. So that's like your threshold. And then you have your action threshold, which is like how many is too many until I like do this action, which is A, B, or C, and you kind of make a plan. I kind of get two different types of growers. Some are working places where they're like, people want to see zero thrips. And I say, well, that's a little hard to do because it's an ecosystem. There's always going to be thrips here. We don't eradicate anything. You can't. I like I never try to say always and never because I think that those are really hard terms. We don't try to eradicate because in ecosystems, you know, that that isn't really what happens. You know, they get below your action threshold where you don't need to take any other precautions to try to, you know, decrease the pests. But so to these places that have really low thresholds, you know, maybe I try to talk to them about a few is okay, depending on which life cycle stage it is. And that's for any crop. And then you get places that are kind of like, well, a few's all right. We don't, you know, it's fine. So that's kind of where the issue comes in. And when you walk investors through cannabis places or see sweet people, sometimes they have ag backgrounds, sometimes they don't. So they'll see the thrip damage because it's really easy to see. It's like silvery and it kind of looks like, you know, physical damage. And then people get up, they're like, what is going on? You know, because this is their investment or whatever. And they're like, what is happening? So that might be the reason why some of those are like that. And I think in the big picture, it's just the the risk of maybe vi- vectoring viruses, viroids, stunting growth, if there is a is a virus or something and causing unsightly damage, if the purpose of your plant is to sell as an ornamental. So there's a lot of different reasons. But the tree thing is interesting because I e- went to ESF. I did not take dendro at all, anything like that. So you know, I have like less knowledge about trees and it makes sense they're on trees, but I, even in the botanical gardens, they have thrips, but they're kind of like, it happens. And, you know, if they can treat it, they will. If not, you know, they'll have to find, they'll try to find a way to deal with the issue, but usually just for sight because it's like in the botanical garden. But yeah, that's a good point. I never really think about the trees. I'm sorry (laughs) to all the stumpies out there. (laughs) I'm sorry. You mentioned uh, scouting. What does that mean? To, to scout? It can mean a lot of different things, but essentially what it is, is going out with the intention to look for pests and beneficials to see what, you know, is happening in your grow. Some people, when I work with them, they have a scouting regimen already, which is great. And usually they go out and scout once a week, you know, they're looking at leaves, 
on plants, you know, they're kind of picking random samples in a room and looking, or if they have hot spots, they'll flag them and come back to it later. A hot spot might be, you know, there's a lot of pests on this one plant in this room. So they go and they look at it maybe once a week, maybe a couple times a week, maybe every day to see if it's getting better or worse and also to see if it's spreading. So scouting too can look like Again, you're going out with the intention to find these things. You have some tools with you. You might have like a handheld microscope that connects to your phone. I do. I love that thing. You might have a hand loop. Some people call it like a bang sheet or like I usually just use my clipboard and like a piece of white paper and I like put it under the leaves and I I judge the leaves to shake anything out to see if I catch anything and then I'll look and that's a lot easier. Again, some people will look at random samples throughout the room. Some people look at every plant, which is great if you have the time to do that. Fantastic. But (laughs) just setting aside time to look for that stuff. And some people don't have, you know, they'll either have an IPM person or they'll have like IPM scouts with their job being specifically to do that. Or some places they'll have like the growers do it when they're pruning or, you know, whatever. And that's fine, too, as long as it's getting done. It also can look like checking your monitoring cards weekly. So the the yellow sticky cards with the grid on it, those are my favorite. And putting them in the same spot every time they're changed. I recommend people trying to check them once a week, every week on the same day to remove the variability of like time difference. So that way they can track the population. Some people will change the cards once a week, every week on the same day. Some people will like they'll count the week before and then on you know Monday for example they'll count again and be like oh it's two more this time so then they'll they don't have to change the card if they don't have enough or something but just making sure everything's going okay or if not then taking the appropriate response as soon as you can so if you scouted last week and your pest populations were low and this week they're a little higher then you might increase the amount of beneficials you might put out or if last week it was bad but this week it's worse you might do a knockdown spray so it kind of informs like the decisions for this week and the weeks to come your company deals with beneficial insects do you have like a favorite a favorite beneficial yes i love the Athena coriaria or the delosha coriaria it's the same name it's a predatory beetle it lives in it, it hangs out in the soil it's a soil dwelling beneficial and it goes after fungus gnat larvae, pupil thrip stages, other types of larvae, etc. And I just think that they're cute. They're they're really tiny and they just like kind of fly around. And I, I like they're cute. They also like take off with breeding in the right setting. You know, some people I'll see, they put them out weekly. Inside indoor grows, we can have enemies that have, est- or natural enemies that have established or might come outside in. But sometimes that might not be enough and usually it isn't to like deal with the pest issues. So they're still putting stuff out, but they're like, yeah, they're even, you know, maybe if they put a theta out once every three weeks, they're like, yeah, they're still hanging around here and they've been hanging around here for years. So they just kind of take off. And I think them and like the nematodes are like the gateway to uh, integrated pest management when it comes to like releasing natural enemies, because I think it's a little bit more well known. And they're they're a little bit easier to kind of understand how they work and like to put them out because you you put them on your soil and then they if they like the conditions, they'll really go into it. That's definitely my favorite one. A scenario here. You have a a, f- a crop grower who does very traditional like sequence spraying, 
doesn't really know anything about IPM, if they're looking to do kind of more of an IPM style management, what's something that they can do for themselves and to, to get into IPM and possibly be more helpful for someone like you who's being consulted for IPM? That's a good question. That's kind of a hard question because sometimes when people aren't really into IPM, they don't know where to start. I think with that question, I think it in the field, usually what I see is if people don't really know but they want to start, they'll they'll contact me first. And then I'll come in and something that they could do for themselves for to help me as well, to help them is to look at the chemicals they have and send them to me. And then what I'll do, like I said earlier, is I'll go through and list the ones that, you know, if you spray them, they're not going to leave, like have a residual effect on the leaves. So then you can put your bios out the next day. So I'll go through that and send it back. And I'll be like, you know, you have this one that you can spray. And once the foliage is dry, you can release. And you have this one that the residual effects can go up to like six plus weeks. And I say, let's try to avoid this one the best we can and then use this one that we, that actually lets us establish a population. So the best thing they can do to help themselves to help me is to probably call me and like have me come and look and like to have me come and assess the situation. And then I can give them the tools that they would need to then start to get ready to try this out. And if there's a case like that, I'm not looking to, you know, say they have like a 3,000 square foot greenhouse or something. I'm not looking to start that necessarily in the 3,000 square feet. I might say, and I've done this quite a few times, I might say, let's look at this rolling bench here and let's do bios on this and see what you think about it and look at the results. And we kind of have to think about spray drift if they're spraying other stuff or if there are separate rooms, that would be even better. But for the sake of this example, you know, try it in one spot, see what you think. And then, you know, we'll, we'll build out on it usually is what happens. But usually the first step is to get a hold of someone that can help you out to then listen if you want to their recommendations to get you ready to um, put out natural enemies and things like that. To kind of fi- finish up, is there anything else you want to add about what you do uh, in IPM or maybe uh any advice as a student? Not only do you uh, are you in the workforce, but you're also a student. So is there anything that was super helpful to get you to where you are now, not only professionally, but maybe academically? <sighs> I know, um, kind of putting you on the spot. No, That's difficult. I laughed because the thing that I thought initially with school is um, don't procrastinate. I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> and I know that, but you know, if you're working and going to school, and I think I would be procrastinating even if I wasn't, but to work a full day of work and then to sit down and be like, okay, time to do my physiology of cultivation or cultivated plants homework, which is the hardest class I've ever taken in my entire life. It's kicking my butt is really difficult and you know especially with traveling and stuff it's really hard to try to find time so to try not to procrastinate make yourself a schedule to save yourself from you know it's all has to be done the day it's due is kind of stressful with the job too I will say at ESF I I didn't really take any I took um diversity of life which for the non-stumpies out there is like you you kind of cover everything you cover mycology you cover you might cover some, you cover some ecology, you might cover some horticultural stuff, you cover dendrology, blah, 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 et cetera. 
So I took that and we had an entomology section. And other than that, and then at Cranberry Lake Field Station, I didn't really take ento classes. And I think that goes to show too that like learning is forever and you might find something you're passionate about later. So you don't have to feel bad if you don't have the skills now. You do have some. You just might not realize that it's applicable to what you're going to do now. I took mycorrhizal ecology at ESF and I was like, I don't know, like I love this class. I don't know whenever I'm, when I'm ever going to use it, but it, it comes up so much that I'm like, oh, great. That's great. So don't be discouraged later if you find something that you like. I'm sure that you have in I'm sure and you definitely have skills that are applicable you in ways that you might not know. So don't be completely discouraged. And for people looking to like work and maybe go to school, if you have a job that you like and you want to stay at for a few years, maybe see if they'll help you pay for tuition. My job didn't have a program like that, but I made one. And there's a lot of things you, you like I, I pitched it to them and now we have that. And because it's it's a huge benefit and I think a lot of places should do it. But that's a whole other episode of a podcast that we can launch into. But see if they will um, and, and apply to scholarships and stuff like everybody's super capable and has a lot of talent and knowledge. And I'm sure there's a scholarship out there for you. So I guess lastly, if make sure to check, keep your mental health on the top of your mind when you're doing all this, because I have a lot of anxiety and it's just it's gotten a little bad. Uh, because of these things but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it unless it's really bad for you then you know you have to decide for yourself but don't let that fall to the wayside to keep up with your work and your academics because it affects everything even outside of that so make your mental health most most important and then your academics and school work and real work or not real work but work work I guess so it's a balance for sure yeah and what you said about <clears throat> not having a tuition supplement with your job. Uh, this is good advice for anyone because I'm I'm like this I'll, where I kind of avoid conflict within the work environment, but Me sometimes too, yeah. all you have to do is ask. Like <clears throat> if you like the worst th that your employer can say is no. Like even if it's just a raise or something, like sometimes they won't do it unless you ask and then you get it because you asked. So, it's yeah. really important to just bring these things up and I know it's hard sometimes to do that being someone who doesn't like conflict uh, you know sometimes you really just got to ask and to get things oh absolutely and I think with that the the thing that I think worked for me and I think will work in a lot of situations is to come with a solution so what I did is I wanted my job to help me pay for school because it benefits them it absolutely benefits them and it I'm only doing more because of this degree it relates directly to this so I made like a brochure like to the pros of this and then I don't know if this is relevant but I know like there are some tax things for employers if they pay for tuition for employees so I would look into that too just to bring the solution is very helpful so if you're one of my coworkers out there listening we I did it for us <laughs> I don't know if I'll tell them you know so but yeah, that was very, very clever of you. And something else, <laughs> one, last, one last thing to mention too, that I like that you brought up, uh, just because you kind of focus in on something as an undergrad, that doesn't define you. Uh, you know, I only took one Ento class as an undergrad, and now I'm getting my master's in entomology. As yeah. long as you you show that you're willing to learn something, you can go on and do anything else that you want. You know, I thought I was going to be a plant, a botanist or uh, plant science, but I ended up switching tracks and it's within your capabilities as long as you're willing to learn. Absolutely. And in this industry of like ag or horticulture or 
natural enemies or etc there's a lot of different backgrounds some people come straight from horticulture like they've been growers for x amount of years and they wanted to do this now or I think one of the people I used to work with she doesn't work with us anymore but she she studied like music production and then also was like working at a greenhouse at the same time and realized she loved working in a greenhouse and like I think too part of I imagine some of the listeners out there like go to school some some of going to school and getting the degree is to show that you can do it and less about like what it is some fields are like you have to you know if you're going to be an engineer they probably want to see that you major (laughs) in engineering something like that but like for this it's a little bit more leeway like I work with growers who now manage their whole operation and oh I was I went to I was I studied graphic design but now they're like beautifully operating and running this huge and very popular ornamental facility and they do a great job. So there's always resources out there to learn more and as a resource and just for convenience, people can reach out to me as well if they have questions about the field or like stuff like that. Because I always try to fill the fill this industry with everyone always says agriculture is kind of having an issue with there's a lot of older employees and soon where are people going to be? And I want to fill the industry with people who are kind and respectful and welcoming of everyone. So I always try to pack the the greenhouses and the shows with my friends so I can see them and they do good things and they're smart. And I know that. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? What is a good contact information? I do have Instagram, but I keep it separate from my work. Like I don't do any work stuff on it because boundaries are important. So I'm on LinkedIn as Heather Case, K-A-S-E. That's how you spell my last name. Like you reached out to me on LinkedIn. That was perfectly fine. I also have a work email and you can even email me if it's not about, say if you just have a general question, it doesn't have to be about like, how do I manage my two spot spider mite population? It could be like, hey, how do, what did you take at ESF? I'm also going there, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So my email is just my first and last name. It's heather.case at biobiobee dot U-S. And no, we do not sell bumblebees in the U.S., um, unfortunately. (laughs) And I I can also put your email in the description of the episode. So that way people can see it out in writing. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for joining us. It's been a really good pleasure learning about uh, some more IPM practices and uh, introducing IPM to other people. So uh, thanks for having me. This has been really great. And I have gone to Cornell to help with some IPM stuff. I was at the IPM in-depth recently and it's just a lovely place. And y'all are doing great work educating the population that's nearby. So that's great too. I'm happy that you guys do that and spread the word of IPM. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that concludes our episode for today. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a review or share it with your friends. Uh, We don't pay to advertise, so word of mouth is how uh, we get our podcast out there. Thanks for listening, and remember to stay spineless. Three, two, one. Welcome to There Will Be... Ah, sorry. I already messed that up. I'm going to start that again. They do so much work and they just make no money.